HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday. As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone? Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said, this is the best pile of meat I've ever had, and then said, but if you added bacon? Tune in to this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with a slightly different show than usual. You know, I've talked about diets, I've talked about sports a little bit, or athleticism, but this is a combination, an amalgamation of two things in someone's life that I find absolutely fascinating, but it will bring us back into food, or food will be present throughout, because when I first met you, Olivia Young, um, you were working for Altima Royale Group in PR and marketing, a very large restaurant group here in New York, run by Chef Michael White. Um, but now you own and operate this venture called Box and Flow. Right. They are very similar. Hmm. I mean, you may think they're disparate parts of your life, but I see the discipline behind what you do now and what you did then as very similar things. You know, I think that there's a reason why you go from one thing to the next and that you sort of collect experiences along the way. So you're made of this foundation and then every experience shapes you. And I don't believe in accidents. So I don't disagree with you. Um, And I think naturally like fitness was always part of my life, especially because I see it as what fueled me to be able to have such a large role in 
a huge industry in New York City with celebrity chefs and the former president of Merrill Lynch. Um, and it was the physicality that I was practicing every day that set me up for success. In your bio, you grew up in Miami Beach, but you say that your family was committed to daily exercise and congregating around the kitchen. Does this mean that you all worked out together or that everyone worked out individually? No, definitely not together at all. Um, I have three brothers, and actually things have changed. Um, my father's actually in the food business. My mom met my dad on the tennis courts, and they're, they're 18 years apart. But when my mom was 20, she was, like, running on the treadmill and, like, making chicken. And I guess my... Wait, thought, she was running on the treadmill <laughs> making chicken at the same time? Not at okay. the same time. But, like, she was really into healthy food and lifestyle. Um, and I guess my parents always say this story of, like, when I, you know, when I met your mother, she was just, like, running till she was blue in the face on the treadmill and, like, always eating chicken and cooking. And, you know, so it was just these two things that it was never just one or the other. It was always about both. And... My three brothers are active and we're involved in sports, but they're much more active in the kitchen these days in terms of eating, not cooking. <laughs> um, so my dad, entrepreneur, plays tennis every day. He's uh, going to be 75, 74, 75, but that's his commitment. So sweat was always a thing that was important in our lives, not as important as the kitchen. Yeah, but then there's this term sweat equity, and it's working yeah. towards something, which I'm sure has been used as a phrase and idiom throughout your life. But let's talk about this boxing and yoga duo. Uh, what came first? I started practicing yoga when I was 15. So I would go to Bikram Yoga, heated 100 plus degrees in a room every day for 90 minutes when I was 15, which is extreme in so many ways. It's the same 26 posture um, class. And I think that I must have just been searching for something. Like I was very involved in musical theater when I was growing up, and I think I sort of lost passion for that when I didn't get what I want out of it. And I was always physical with like cheerleading and tennis and, you know, having to wrestle three brothers. Um, but something about yoga just struck me and it became my daily commitment. Again, this theme of discipline. Then, then when did boxing find its way into your regimen? Uh, about five years later, there was a boxing studio on the way to the yoga studio. So I went to college in Boston. I transferred back to University of Miami. I was living near South Beach and... I would walk to the yoga studio and on my way, I passed South Florida Boxing on Washington Avenue and it was disgusting and smelled like sweat and it was way before boxing was cool. It was just a dirty boxing gym and I walked in and I, I just felt something that was so opposite of what I felt from yoga, but it drew me in and I just like wanted to get messy. I will say one of my favorite caveats on your website for Box and Flow is that there are no showers and sweat or sweatiness is sexy. Absolutely. You felt that immediate visceral draw then. I think for me, this idea of being physical is how I express myself. It's how I like dealt with anxiety without even knowing it. It's how I dealt with emotion. It's how I felt connection to myself. It was being the daily commitment, it was like how I started my day. So whatever I was carrying from like the point I woke up, by the time I was done sweating, I let it go. Um, and it was through like fight, like actually physically hitting a heavy bag or through flow, like opening up, breathing, slowing down, feeling my heartbeat that brought me this balanced 
um, empowerment that literally took me to accomplish whatever was in my way or on my day or, um, you know, I have this, I sort of have this way of being that's a little bit fearless. Like risk doesn't scare me. People don't scare me. The only thing that actually scares me is myself. And I would have to overcome that to, you know, allow myself to take on whatever else was in front of me. I mean, with all this physicality, you need some kind of fuel. You need some kind of sustenance to, to actually get you through the day. Um, I know I swim every day. Mm. And I know before swimming, I usually don't eat because I like swimming on an empty stomach. Do you think about food and diet in the role of what you do as, as you know, a yoga person, as a boxing person? I think food was what struck me first. So even though I was 15 when I started practicing yoga, um, I was always, you know, part of this family and culture of surrounding and congregating around the kitchen. My mom's like a baker, like that's, and she calls it procrasta baking. That's what everything she does is, oh, I'm going to, I'll do it, but I got to procrasta bake first. And for carpool every morning, it was baking muffins for the kids or, you know, we had dinner as a family, all six of us every night around the table. And, you know, I never ordered in Chinese or pizza. It was home cooked meals. So as I, you know, got through school, high school, and when I moved to New York City, um, I moved to go to culinary school. It had nothing to do with fitness. Fitness was just a part of my life that was how I started my day. Um, And it still is that way. And what I'm building, it's so much about balance and physical, mental, spiritual connection um, rather than being a fitness operator concept. Um, and with that, I think there's, you know, you said fuel. And to me, it's it's a way of like looking at life in a lot of ways. It's are you fueling your life or are you filling your life? Are you fueling your body or are you filling your body? Are you fueling your time or are you filling your time? And it could be related to like work love, food, fitness, how are you sort of relating to what you're putting in and what are you getting out? I mean, did you know what you wanted or what you were going to get out of going to French Culinary Institute? I wanted to get into food writing. I read an interview that Dana Cowan did that said, no, you don't have to go to culinary school, but it will certainly give you an advantage. And two weeks later, I was enrolled, got the last spot in December 2009, moved in the dead of winter and like ponied up was scared out of my mind never lived in New York City um but I had this idea of getting into you know culinary school food writing I wanted to work at food and wine magazine that's what I wanted to do and that you did you parlayed FCI (laughs) into an internship at food and wine yeah working with Dana Cowan and on that we're going to take a quick note and come back and talk a little bit about food writing PR marketing and then of course boxing and yoga Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. 
Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com slash HRN to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. And fall asleep just to wake up. Have you heard? It's party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN's staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider, while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary. So, whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org gala. Welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Olivia Young of Box and Flow. So going to FCI, learning the foundational techniques of how to cook uh, does give you a way of expressing what you're tasting, what you're eating, you know, what your experience about food mm-hmm. more than anyone that hasn't gone through that, you know, rigmarole. Um, what was it? What did you take away from FCI that, that kind of converted into prose or poetry or, or the food, writing that, food writer that you wanted to be? Uh, I think it was just something that was quite challenging for me because I was, you know, one of, I don't know, 15, 20 people in this class. December 2009, the economy was changing. The professional world was changing. There was a crazy amount of layoffs. So it wasn't a bunch of 18-year-old kids before college going to culinary school. It was career changers. It was the head recruiter from Pfizer. It was my friend Ray, who I saw last night randomly in Brooklyn, who was um, a cop that had injured himself and now out on his pension fund. Um, So it was like I knew that I wanted to go to culinary school to get into food writing, but the people that were with me in the program, they had no interest in what I was interested in. And I still had my chef's whites on every day for hours, sweaty, smelly, messy, making pork chop over pork chop, throwing out eggs, liver, like all of the parts um, for a purpose that wasn't, similar to anybody else that was in the program. So um, it was a different connection for me. It was like I wasn't the girl who loved to cook and find out the intricacies of every single ingredient and how it worked. I was a girl who was there for a purpose. And I went in and out of like sort of 
deciding what that was because it was a little bit confusing, you know, cooking all day. Um, and with the thought that I wanted to get into food writing, but like I'd never done food writing, quote unquote. So it was more so like brand new to New York City, 22 years old, going out to dinner, making friends with chefs and um, just getting my feet wet in life, in professional life, away from home, um, trying new things. Food and Wine awarded Michael White, I believe, a Best New Chef. I forget what year. Um, or they've written about him so much so that, that he, he is lauded amongst not only people in New York, but internationally. When was your first interaction with Altamirea Group, him as a chef? And when did you parlay food writing into PR and marketing? Again, it's it was sort of just like the universe. I um, was interning for Kate Heddings editing cookbooks and then ended up staying way longer than I planned to and worked with Ray Isle and Jen Murphy on the travel stuff and Kate Crater on restaurants. And, um, it was like 10 months at this point. And again, print media was changing. And I was talking to Kate Headings one day and she said, if I were to do it all over again, I would take a similar route that Gail Simmons did. She started as Danielle Balud's assistant. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know chefs had assistants. Okay, what does that mean? Let's do it. And uh, Michael White needed his first assistant. Of all the chefs and restaurants I'd been to, uh, I had never met Michael. And I had only recently gone to Maria right after they got their three-star New York Times review. My parents were in town. We went to Maria, and it was magical. I remember where we sat, where we ate. George, the maitre d', served us the wine we drank. Um, Maria is pasta, but Adriatic. I know it's Italy. It's it's seafood meets grain. It's coastal Italian seafood. Yeah. It's sort of Michael's interpretation of what Italian food should be, I would say. Um, and he really was the pioneer in, you know, mixing dairy or cheese with pasta and working with crudo, um, at least in New York City, I would say. Um, and I had six interviews with Altamare Group. My last one was, I was called in, it was Passover in April 2010, and I got a note from the CEO's assistant, former president of Merrill Lynch, Amas Fakahani, who's the CEO, saying, you know, can you be in the office on Monday for, an, you know, an interview? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not in town, but, like, I'll fly up tomorrow, whatever you need. And they're like, okay, relax. <laughs> you don't have to be here tomorrow. <laughs> Take your time. We'll see you when you get back. So I had my final interview, which ended up not being an interview, as a job offer. I remember what I was wearing. It was just also surreal because – it's like if you could write your story, you know, I was, and I was making it all come true. And uh, I couldn't believe it. And at the same time, it was just like, this is real life. You know, it, what's so funny is that that was such a major part of the story, but you still never gave up that workout regimen because every morning you'd still wake up at five and do what you had to do before you went into a long and grueling day, I assume. Uh, you know, working for Altamirea Group, you know, talking to journalists, talking to chefs. Why were you unwilling to let go of that workout? To me, it wasn't even a workout. It was what set me up for success. I think even I was always a girl in food who loved fitness. And I think people were like, what is this energy? Like, why are How do you have so much this and, the, you know, this joie de vivre and sort of air of confidence? And without knowing it was that physicality, it was. It was me committed to waking up at five o'clock every morning, eating breakfast before I ran as like a little bit of a warm up to like clear my head and then going to box or go to yoga that 
Boxing gave me that strength and confidence. Yoga forced me to slow down and be real and be here without like aggression or adrenaline. And from there, it was, you know, looking from a homeless person at Church Street Boxing Gym to being in Morea, you know, with Louboutins and dressed to the nines. And it was this like duality of self that I channeled like in the morning and then throughout the evening and, you know, ended the day at some great restaurant or like eating a dried steak, drinking scotch, having a wonderful time and also being committed to go to bed at a normal hour so I could get the seven to nine hours I needed so that I could wake up the next day and do it again. Discipline. Yeah, I think at some point without knowing, I realized what makes me feel good and what doesn't. And I'm all about, you know, enjoying indulging but I also prefer to feel good. Like I taught a class on the roof of the William Vale last night with Myra, my colleague, and um, a bunch of people. And then we had drinks after, we had mezcal Negronis before, we really had fun. But I went to bed at 11 o'clock and like stuffed a sweet potato with coconut oil on my face before I went to bed because I was starving. And I woke up at five still. Um, and I feel great today, but not as great as I would have if I had had nine hours of sleep, you know, but it's, it's worth that because again, it's, you know, you, I always say, you know, I live, I don't limit. So I believe in indulgence. I believe in enjoyment, but I also believe in if you're connected to yourself and what works for you, then that's what leads you. If you're fueling yourself instead of filling yourself, you know, that's what sets you up for success. And that goes to all aspects of your life. So when you arrive at 55 Bond Street, which is the Box and Flow studio, you ascend up these stairs. There are these phrases um, on, on the black stair steps. What, what are those phrases? What are those mantras? It's literally like what I tell myself everything, every morning. But So it starts with this, uh, the best things in life make you sweat, which is why you know my dream and future is not going to be just fitness or food. I think it's about combining whatever that means to you. So the best things in life make you sweat, make you fight, make you flow, make you laugh, make you cry, make you love. Um, It's a feeling, a confidence, a swagger. It's the will to win, the want for more. Uh, And it ends with work hard, live young. Um, So it's, it's about not compromising anything. If you want to live your best life, it's about not compromising what matters most to you. And I think along that journey, you'll find that the people that matter most to you will support that journey. And you're nearly two years old, right? This studio. Yeah. That's a wild thing to have spent, what, a decade at Alta Morea? Seven and a half years. Yeah. In restaurant years, it is nearly, if not more than a decade. But when people arrive at the studio, and Myra, please chime in on this. It's 55 minutes. It's, again, it's this regimened, disciplined um, 35 minutes of boxing, 18 minutes of yoga. Um, how is that set up? What is the actual arc, the flow of that session? And what do you feel coming out of it? Well, hi. You start with like an eight-minute warm-up first. And it's basically like clear your head. Because you get all these bodies that are like either jaded or asleep or dead. And it's your chance to like wake them up, get them out of their heads play a great song, and then you get started, right? You get a whole bag to yourself, and you start with combinations. Um, In the rhythm, you kind of get into the flow of things, loosen up, 
And then you get partner rounds. And in these partner rounds, like, it's as fast as you can. Like, it's fucking hard. You're out of control, music is blasting, and you just lose yourself. If you can. If you can, like, go. And then you get three of those, which is enough to make you really tired, that all you want to do is take your gloves off. And that's when the flow comes in. So it's like a great opportunity to like let go of all that sweat, all that toxic shit holding you back, weighing on your shoulders to go into a nice flow where you're ready to like open up all these heart openers, all these back bends, and then you're good. You're done. 55 minutes after, no showers, you get the fuck out and conquer your day. So there are jumping jack squats, butt kicks, <laughs> uh, light weight lifting. You really have a list there. Yeah, jabs, crosses, hooks, undercuts, shadow boxing, heavy bag. Uh, I just look at it as a dance. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it's have to be so serious. Moves, it's a lot of, I mean, it's, but, but really it's not. It's that, like Myra said, it's, it's that eight minute warm up to sort of set your mind at ease that you can take on whatever's in front of you. So I imagine a, a boxing coach in the ring, you know, you're the fighter, the coach is holding your water or towel, and they're like, you got this, you got this, eye on the prize. What's your focus? What's your intention? What are you fighting for? Go. Gloves on. As Myra said, nine rounds on the heavy bag nonstop. No breaks, no breaks in life. We don't stop because just because you need a break doesn't mean like the world's going to stop. It sort of sets you up to be resilient. If you allow yourself, as Myra said, to let go. So it goes all the way up the mountain and think DMX, Nirvana, you know, hip hop, intense music to sort of carry you on that journey. People to hold you accountable. Energy in the room, connection, fire, fight, intensity, all the way up. And then gloves off, wraps off, crawl on your mat, feel your heartbeat, feel your breath and celebrate for a second. You did that. Nobody did it for you. Now, you got there. Did you see that same kind of sequence or uh, like emotional roller coaster happen in restaurants during lineup? Because I know it's a very <laughs> interesting thing that happens. And and some restaurants, more so the Michelin starred ones, it's all about this this sense of calm right before the storm. Right. But this seems antithetical to that. You know, again, I think it's why I've started my day like this because I don't think I wake up calm. I wake up like raring to sort of just Is like this true, Ira, when you see oh, her first in the studio. I, I <laughs> thank God I don't see her at five a.m. But when I see her at nine, she's still wired. Yeah. That, but like, I mean, Myra and my team gets emails from me like four forty-five, and it's just like go, 100%. go, go, because I think I wake up with all this adrenaline and energy, and I guess you know I'm the epitome of a morning person. But it is it is sort of the opposite in a lot of ways. It is that. Um, you jump right in because I think life is here. It's in real time. There isn't no. There isn't any like oh, come before the storm. It is the storm. It's how you take on the storm. You can look at it like with ease, or you can look at it with resistance, and you sort of choose. You can look at it with like I can do anything or I can't. So you know when you're thrown into the lines, then what are you gonna do? Your choice. Yoga ends the session. Yes. Talk to me about. Well, why yoga first and not implemented at the beginning and what it releases? Uh, so to me, I wanted to create something that related to my experience boxing every day. And, um, you know, I start on a high, like just like I do when I wake up and then I come down. And I think that ultimately we, our biggest enemy is ourself. So you're like set up in this class, in this, you know, organized structure, like fighting yourself because the, the test is, can you get out of your own way and then celebrate your win? 
So when you go all the way up through the fight, through the 35 minutes, and then feel your heartbeat and your breath for the first time in stillness, it relates to like, we're moving all the time. You're working, especially in New York City, you're socializing. And I find that like in times of dis-ease for me and trouble or anxiety, you know, I distract myself with work and working out and plans and dates and drinks and dinner. But it's not until I find stillness and calm that I actually hear my intuition that I'm actually honest with myself and how I'm feeling. So it takes you all the way up in all this like hubbub to bring you down to quiet and stillness so that you can have some clarity for a second to, to do two things. To one, celebrate that you've done this yourself, nobody else. And two, like, oh, like how do I actually feel now that I'm here? You've given a lot of chefs this clarity too because I know you have many as clients. Who are they and what has it done for them? <laughs> um... Ugh, I love all these chefs and they're so kind to me via social media or when I see them. Um, but this was like so perfect for the hospitality industry because hospitality breeds fire, <laughs> right? So I wanted to create some sort of community that was extended from the restaurants to have people come in and feel that they could release rather than go out for late night drinks or, or have drinks after. But, you know, Josh Capon's been in, Michael White's obviously been in, Mike Solomonov's been in, Sal from Bar Premi's been in, um, my friend from Virginia's, who else? Uh, Bill Telepan's been in, Bobby Flay's been in, still working on Missy Robbins. She's been promising me for two years. We'll, we'll send her this episode. Uh, um, who else? Leah Cohen has been in. Let me think. A good amount of people. A good amount of people. What about the German chef? Which one? Mark. From where? I can't remember. Oh, Marcus. From that we yeah. went to. No. He's, he's very funny. <laughs> I don't <laughs> There's like just so many people too and it becomes, you know, this community and like Myra personalities. You know, I only hire storytellers because as teachers, we're not teaching all of the moves that you're mentioning. We're teaching you how to, to fight for yourself, to fight, to fight yourself, right? To let go of whatever anxiety is holding you back from getting where you want to be in this life. Um, so for people to be able to teach this technique, they have to have experienced some sort of resistance and ease in their own lives so they can share their story through their class. And ultimately, my goal is to create a lifestyle around balance, connection. And I was blessed with this name, Olivia Young, which put, you know, sort of could be taken as Live Young. And really, who I am is this work hard, Live Young, this duality of self, that masculine, feminine side, the food and the fitness, the dark and light, resistance and ease. You know, I see everything in two sides. Um, you eat mostly greens, healthy fats, so burgers with no buns, <laughs> and you love sugar, but you stick to under $2 at Dylan's Candy Bar. <laughs> but what is this beer in the fridge to celebrate? Oh, my God, I love beer so much. <laughs> it literally just makes, I'm yeah. looking at the Presidente at the window. I'm like, you know, I didn't want to drink today, but it's right here in this garden. Um, this is beer at the studio post a session? Yeah. I, for me, balance, just to simplify it, is boxing, burgers, Backbends, beer, four Bs. Um, and I struck up a great relationship with Anheuser-Busch. They send way too much beer a month. Um, conversations just strike up over a cold beer rather than like in a boxing session, you're not allowed to talk. Um, and to build a community around balance, there needs to be an extension outside of just a fitness class. So, you know, maybe at some point there'll be a bar connected to the fitness studio and 
like I said, I was always a woman in, or in food who loved fitness. Now I'm a woman in fitness who loves food. Rather, I'm just a human who enjoys and understands hard work and celebration. So to me, that's what it's all about. You know, work hard, live young. So there is the website live young, L-I-V-Y-O-U-N-G dot C-O. But then you can always go to boxandflow.com to stop by and see Olivia and Myra and, you know, get your butt kicked and feel good about it. And then celebrate. And then have a beer. Exactly. We have beer. We have yeah. beer. We have beer. <laughs> and a burger club. That was another thing. You know, talk about food. There's no, I believe, again, live, don't limit. Like... Eat what you want and enjoy it, but in moderation, knowing that, you know, what you're putting in, are you fueling or are you filling? Backbends, burgers, boxing. What's the fourth B? Beer. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) I did not set you up, but thank you so much for being on. And I I will get in that studio someday. Yeah. See the both of you. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Music by Cookies and David Tattashore Engineering. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.